Welcome back to Garden Spirits Podcast, a place where you can learn to connect with nature, creativity, and yourself. I'm your host, Laura Lynn, and today's special guest is Zach Beach. He is an internationally renowned yoga teacher, best-selling author, and love coach, but we're going to talk to him about being a poet. He has a new book coming out, and so we're going to dive into the world of poetry. We're going to learn more about his life story and how he became a poet. We're going to talk about love and about all these wonderful magical things that makes our lives feel whole. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned. Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here. And so I really wanted to get into your book and your your life in general. So can we start with uh, your life journey? Like, how did you get from, how'd you get here to this place? Mm. Well, big question there. Um, but for me, it really is the continuous evolution of two processes. The first one being much of my spiritual life involves reflecting on what really matters, and then making sure I'm living in line with those values. And about 15 years ago, I decided that what really matters most in life is love. And I set the intention to explore love, discover love, and bring as much love into the world as I possibly could, which is the second process that I call the living with intention. And living with intention is so powerful because it opens yourself up to a world of possibility, right? It's quite opposite to a goal, which is often 10 years from now, I want to be a doctor, right? Very limited, very refined, very one track oriented. But if you live with intention, it's something that you can bring into your life right now in this moment. And there's a million ways that you can explore it. So my intention has been to love, to help others love, to bring more love into the world, which has brought my path into places and directions that I never would have dreamed of. And I think of my work in the world as being on the level of the body, the heart and the mind. So the level of the body, I love to teach yoga, to get people to connect to their bodies, to get bodies to connect with other bodies with things like time massage and partner yoga. I work on the level of the heart. The language of love comes from the heart. So I love to write poetry and do spoken word performances. And we do live in a cognitive-centric world. So I do do some work in the mind, some teaching, workshops, writings, and different things like that. And who knows what the next few years will take me, but I'll know that whatever, whatever path I will take will come from the heart. That's incredible. So with talking about love, I feel like, you would say that that's like the one thing that the world needs more of. Is there anything else that you would want to add to that? Hmm. That is an interesting way to phrase it, that the world needs more of it. Because as an individual, we need it for survival. Is a feeling of love, connection, and belonging is fundamental to our well-being, fundamental to our health. I love reading the studies and scientific studies that show that poor social connection is just as bad as smoking a pack of cigarettes or being incredibly obese in terms of longevity and our own health. So it's not just that like love is this nice thing that we should have, you know, and some people might hear that I love love and think I'm just some 
pie in the sky hippie idealist but fundamentally we need love just as much as we need food and water for our survival and we can cultivate love for ourselves and love for each other and it is absolutely what the world needs um, if we are to survive so we'll get into my book on pebbles but a huge impetus behind the book was this basic idea that we are nearing the end of the world if we don't change our course of action change our way of living very quickly and very soon because the environment is dying the world is dying we're polluting the airs the waters and if we aren't able to shift our course of action then who knows what life on this planet will look like a hundred years from now so it's not just that love is nice but our individual survival depends on it and so too does our collective survival depend on it too yeah i've never heard like now that you're saying it i'm like that makes so much sense but i had never heard of that before so like how did like where did this idea come from like how did you like said 15 years ago so like did something happen 15 years ago where this idea <laughs> came to you or how did how did you get this worldview? um really it has been just through continuous learning and continuous research like again this idea that we all need love is not just some idea that originated with like the Beatles that like all you need is love. <laughs> you talk to any social scientist, neuroscientist, and they'll tell you the same thing. They talk to any psychologist and they'll tell you that our young infants are extraordinarily dependent on someone to love and nurture them. And it isn't just, um, you know, food, shelter, and water for a young infant, but we need that social interaction, the loving contact, loving touch, the playfulness, the interaction with our children is actually what helps them develop emotionally and mentally, along with, of course, the physical benefits of just being held by a warm, warm, loving individual. So it didn't at all, you know, necessarily uh, come from some pie in the sky ideal, but just finding that wherever I went, in the world rather it was a lecture hall and academia listening to a psychologist talk about the importance of love and connection or belonging or rather i went to a church or a temple and was told that god is love and we know god through love is wherever i went i found the same message repeated again and again by different people and it has only um really helped my resolve to know that there are other people who know this to be true. And I love to continue to spread these messages wherever I go. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it's so cool how, how love can be shown in so many different kinds of relationships, because like you were just talking about before with the environment that we need to like, stop being complacent and to start loving our home here on earth and mm -hmm. to not let to start changing the way that we're interacting with the world uh, so the question is is how do you how do you get to share that love with more people because sometimes we were like oh it's just like tree huggers are like hippies they're kind of like you're sailing pie <laughs> in the sky um and other people are like oh well it's only like I could be the best environmentalist, but if it's just me, nothing's going to change because we're like the corporations that are doing all of this. So what would you say to those kinds of people? Um, well, I feel like there's 
two questions to your inquiry. The first one is, well, how do you go about like cultivating more love in the world? Right. And then the second one was, how do you get the message to the people that need to hear it? Right. The people that are working against what we are trying to cultivate. Right. And, um, and it really does begin with conversations like these, right. And connecting with people. So I also have my own podcast and I love to interview, you know, coaches, therapists, educators, and researchers about what it does mean to learn to love. Right. So once we do figure, figure out and realize that love is why we are here on this planet and the only way we will save each other and ourselves is with more love. Of course, the next question is like, how do we begin to do that? So I am always on the lookout for really amazing programs, workshops and trainings that people can do in order to cultivate their love, because I do think we all have an extraordinary potential to love we have this innate capacity within us but unless we do something about it it still remains as a potential so we do have to do things as anyone in a long-term relationship will tell you love does take some work it does take some really deep mentally emotional work in order to unpack all the resistances that we all have to loving others to widening our circle of compassion because that to me is the biggest obstacle is not necessarily like a lack of love because I think many people do love certain things in their life very dearly. You might have a pet that you just is just your entire world. You might have a family member, a spouse, a friend that you do love very deeply. And what I find is that main social ills in the world is not due to a lack of love, but too limited of a love, right? People say they love their country. And that often is justification for war against another country, because we love our country, but we don't love that country as much, right? So psychologists warn us of this in-group bias that we all have, that it's very easy to create an us versus them dichotomy. And we see this to me as the source for many of the social ills we have in the world, whether it's racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, transphobia, it all is the result of, oh, I love this part of me, my experience, my group, my identity, my this, and that, you know, those people over there um, are less than different, need to be controlled, I don't know, in some way, right? So part of our task in cultivating love is expanding or widening circle of compassion. And I do feel like the first 10 years I was doing this, I was really focused on people. Like, okay, let's get us all to widen our circle of compassion to more and more people, to the whole world. And more recently, I'm like, wait a second, we can't just stop at people. <laughs> we got to go all living things, all beings everywhere, because we are, of course, mutually dependent. We depend on the plants and the animals for our own survival. And it's the expanding of love to non-human beings that really was has been my, my focus recently. And to your second question, well, how do we reach the people that need it or that need to know the message the most? And that, of course, is the million-dollar question, right? Because what I found with teaching anything is that you cannot teach any 
thing to anybody who is not willing to learn, who is not willing to listen, right? I can teach a workshop to a hundred people and maybe 10 people are thinking, wow, this guy is full of crap, right? I don't, <laughs> and then just tune the whole thing out. So you can't force somebody to change. You can't teach anybody anything who's not willing to listen, but what you can do is listen to them. What you can do is hear their story, right? We all have our own story. And as soon as you do, you realize, one, we're all the same. We all want to be happy. None of us want to suffer. And we all have our own incredible story behind us that's lead, that's making us sort of think or believe certain things about the world. And we all want to be seen, recognized, and understood. Because, again, we all need love, right? And it's that power right? That has the power to transform the world, really listening to each other's stories. Oh, you really want this? I totally understand where you're coming from. I realize why you, why you might want that. And we can tap into the universal human needs, the, you know, peace, security, love, and belonging. So there's often a phrase I love, it goes back to the Buddha, I believe. And he says, is it the Buddha? It might be Buddha, it might be Gandhi. We'll find, I'll have to look it up. But it says, hatred does not cease by hatred, but only by love alone is the world healed. This is the eternal law. That's right. It was the Buddha, the eternal law. It's over 2000 years and beyond. This is the law because the solution, of course, is not to continue to do this practice of us versus them all right the problem is those people who are destroying the environment but to see us all as one human race all learning to live together on this one human planet and to see the fundamentally essential goodness in everyone and to not produce more hatred division in the world but listen to each other's stories and work together yeah and so with like hatred um it's like uh, the same thing as love I've heard. It's just like on the spectrum of like hate and love. Um, so where do you see how, like, where does hatred come from? Like where, where's that, like that line, do you think between hate and love and how can, so you, cause we just said with the, um, the eternal law that love can overcome hatred. Um, but how does that, like, how do the, what's the dynamic between those two, do you think? Well, the common thing that people say about this dynamic is hate is not the opposite of love. Although people think that because it does tie uh, into what I was saying earlier that most people have a very, um, I don't want to say without any judgment, right? A, a limited sphere of compassion. They love this and therefore they hate this, right? Um, I love my family and, and I hate that guy because he insulted my family. Right. So it, it is this sort of like love turned on its head sort of aspect. Um, but when you really get down to it, hatred is not the opposite of love. Is it, it is the opposite of fear. All right. And usually hatred is used to cover up that fear, cover up that vulnerability. Because when you do look at anyone who does have a lot of hate in them, you will see underneath that hardened shell, that hardened exterior is hurt, is pain, yeah. is suffering. And anger is a really lovely way to not feel and to cover up one's own pain and hurt. Mm -hmm. So this is why, of course, that only through love alone is the world healed. Yeah. Because you have to tap into that, right? Mm -hmm. If I get a hardened shell around my heart, I get 
mad at you. You get you get your defenses up. You get mad at me. And this even happens in relationship. Like it's tempted to be like, oh, there's bad people over there. There's good people over here. But the line between good and bad cuts to the heart of every human being, right? And so too, we see the same dynamic, right? In relationships is we often yell at, criticize, judge, blame, shame our partner, this person we supposedly love. But that's because there is this core need that's, oh, that's just like aching to get met underneath. So I recently had uh, a wonderful therapist, Figzo Sullivan on my podcast. And he said something along the lines of, you are arguing with each other because you love each other so much. And when you love each other so much, like the, the there's a fear of losing this person, of being disconnected from this person. And it just triggers all these really primal emotional activations in the brain. You end up criticizing them or arguing with each other. Yeah, I love that the answer to this, like you were saying earlier, is just to listen and because then we'll be able to like see what they fear, why they're hurt. It's kind of like their inner child is able to come out and speak to us. If you just listen, like they, as when people talk, their inner child's talking too. And so you just have to know how to listen to that. So it's really cool that um, that's all coming together. Um, but I wanted yeah. to move into... Um, well, I, I want to interrupt you real quick because I yeah. just want to share this lovely quote by James Baldwin that I yeah, love. for sure. And he says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with their own pain. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that puts it all together. It's exactly what it is. And that's why... Like you said, there's so much hatred in the world, but there's also so much love. And so by sharing love, then we'll be able to, to combat the hatred. Wow, mm-hmm. that's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Right, so, could, so could you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So June 1st, I'll be releasing my third poetry collection and it's called Pebbles. And there's actually three sections to the book. One is pebbles, one is leaves, one is petals. So if you get a sense of where, of what the book is about, it is about a love for the natural world around us. And in turn, we learn a natural love for ourselves. Because I've found the more love we give away, the more love we have. The more we love the world, the more we discover the world is loving us right back. So I'm super excited for it to come out. I've been working on it for a long time and it touches on many important themes that we've already talked about. It talks about spirituality, spiritual awakening, meditation, love, even some poems on trauma and personal growth to therapy, to seeing our, what I call interconnected interdependence with the world around us. Just as we need social connection and belonging, our own happiness so too i do believe we need a sense of belonging with the earth that we are not some you know what alan watts calls a bag of skin in an alien universe is that we are of this land we come from this earth and we will return to this earth and in cultivating our sense of belonging at home in our hearts and our sense of belonging uh, with each other we can also cultivate a sense of belonging with the world around us so the poems themselves, I like to just, are pebbles themselves. 
So if you think of a pebble, small, there's often many of them in a Zen garden or at the base of a flowing river. So, so too, many of the poems in the book are very short, very simple, very sweet. I tried to remember that quote that you probably know that perfection is not when nothing more can be added, but when nothing less can be taken away. So whenever I wrote a poem, I was like, how can I condense this? How can I shave this down? How can I find the essence of what this poem is trying to say and communicate it in as few words as possible? And that essentially is what Pebbles is all about. Wow. Uh, so could you walk us through like your love of poetry and like why you decided mm. to to become a poet and uh, maybe even get into like your identity as being a poet because I feel like sometimes like I'm a writer and sometimes it's hard to say like mm. I'm a writer even though I have a book that's been published but it's just like kind of weird for me so I was wondering if you had the same kind of thing that I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny um I often get asked, because I'll teach a lot of yoga and demonstrate poses, and then people will often ask, are you a dancer? And they mean, are you trained in classical dance, like ballet? But I'm like, you know, what point do I become a dancer? Because I love to dance. <laughs> and then so, so too, like, at what point do you become a writer? Or it took me a long time of writing poetry to be like, okay, am I finally a poet? Can I finally add this to my to my title now? Um, and to be honest, I don't know. Am I, I think we're all poets, fundamentally. But to answer your question of just about poetry and the power of poetry is I love it in so many different ways. One is poetry to me is the language of the heart, right? The language of the mind is, is going to use words as the dictionary uses them, right? Very literally, right? But you will not learn about being human from the dictionary, right? But one of my favorite poets, Jen Hirschfield, describes poetry as both an amplification and a clarification of what it means to be human, and I love that. And this is something I try to capture when I do write poetry is really what it means to be here in the human body, feeling this human experience and to express it in a way that more matches what, it, what it's actually like to be alive. So what I mean by that is many people do think they live in a very literal world. And I think metaphors is something that only poets use and make up to describe a different uh, way of living in the world. But by and large, us human beings, we live in metaphorical realities and we use metaphors all the time. If you say, oh, wow, they gave me the cold shoulder. Oh, I just had a rough day. Those are both metaphors. You're using the texture of rough to describe your day, using the temperature of cold to describe someone's emotional disposition. So metaphorical reality is a fundamental way of describing the human experience, which to me captures more of what it means to be human than simple, logical, linear words. And spirituality is always a key um, factor in all of my writing. So... My previous book was 108 Shavasana poems. And if you know Shavasana is that final pose at the end of a yoga class. And spiritual teachings themselves, you've probably heard this, are often described as a finger pointing to the moon. 
the finger is the explained, what you can't explain, and the moon is the unexplainable. And many people get caught up on the words, get caught up on the dogma, but they don't realize that they're pointing to an experience. And to me, I always think of poetry as existing in that space between the finger and the moon. It like takes you closer there. It's more ethereal. It plays with words and it makes you open your heart, clear your mind and think of the world in a whole new way. So I also think of poetry is essentially the art of expressing the inexpressible. Right? There will always be a difference between the explained world and the experienced world. But poetry has the potential to take us closer and closer to the actual experience of being human. And it does that using the variety of poetic tools that you have. So just I feel like you just dropped so many golden nuggets there about <laughs> poetry. And because I feel like like as you're reading, whether it's prose or, or poetry, you get taken somewhere else. That's what they say, like the best like time travel is like through a book. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like that's like more like with prose, but then with poetry, I feel like it's more about an experience. And I love that you brought up like metaphors because it's something that I've been thinking about that um, it's kind of, when you have a metaphor, it's just different vibrations that, I mean, there are vibrations that are on the same path but in different mm -hmm. ways. And so it's cool to like bring those together because then you're able to, to see that the world really is connected and that everything is together. So it's everything that we've been talking about today. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, just thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. Uh, could you read one of their poems? Sure, I'd be happy to. <laughs> um, here's one I was thinking because I was writing a blog post about this poem today. And it goes, as mothers wrap lunches for their children, Mother Earth wraps her gifts too. Oranges in their peels, golden berries in their small, delicate leaves, given as freely as gentle rain. Tell me, will anyone work to save what they do not see as loving? So beautiful. So I'd love to like dissect it a little bit, even though like it's like about the experience, but I just, well, just from what I felt from, from reading this was kind of that um, you always feel safest in someone's arms. And so mm. it's cool that like Mother Earth is always here to wrap, to wrap us up because that's how we feel um, like at peace. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really um, beautiful the way that it like, came together. Absolutely. And there's a poem before it and it ends. Have you ever wondered if anyone will work to save what they do not love? And I love that these are side to side because it points to this reciprocal relationship that we need to cultivate with the earth if we are to live in harmony with it. And we can love the earth by seeing ourselves as caretakers of this earth and we can also realize this relationship is not simply reciprocal and that the earth is loving us but that the earth is unconditionally loving us right i think much of our economic system is literally just based and rooted in ecology and the trees that we are turning into ikea furniture or something is offered freely by the earth so mother earth presents us this totally open 
unconditional love. We have fresh water. We have oranges wrapped wrapped in their little bow for us to open up and experience. And have you seen golden berries like in the wild? They are literally like in this wrapper of leaves, right? And then you peel it away and there's this beautiful, juicy, delicious golden berry inside of it. So it's like one of my favorite favorite like fruits to find in the wild because it's just this gift and it's offered so freely right and flowers offer their scent and their colors and their their beauty so freely so if only our love could be a small fraction of that of mother earth um then like the world would live in harmony and that is that shift of perception is seeing our relationship to the earth as one that could be more loving and seeing the earth's relationship to us as unconditionally loving. Yeah. And it's kind of like what you're saying before that if we gave love freely, then we would receive it too. And mm. so it kind of goes um, like people who are always saying that like, money is the root of all evil, but money is also energetic. And so money also, if you're giving it freely, you're going to be receiving it freely. Like it's going to like ebb and flow. But what you were also talking about, there's just so much, <laughs> um, but what you were talking about that we're caretakers of the earth. Mm-hmm. I really resonated with that because um, this, rev- like, it was like a little revelation that just came to me earlier this week because I, I started a garden and oh, it was so it was such a strange feeling, but I felt like my little sage plant that they're just sprouted. They're so cute. They're like this big. Um, I like felt that they were like sending me vibes. I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt this need to go check on them. Um, and, and I did, they were just thirsty. Like they were like kind of getting a little shriveled and I just gave them water and then they, they, they perked up and it was yeah. the coolest experience I've ever had because like my other plants like I have some potatoes and they're usually pretty good and I just like water them every once in a while but it was so cool that I had like that like communication with this like little sage plant mm-hmm. and um it just made me think about like how like we're the caretakers of our garden and of and of earth in general but then there's also like um like god or source or the universe however you want to put it that is taking care of us and so like we need to ask like what we need and it'll like come full circle so all that came from your poem (laughs) so your story reminds me of another poem i'll read it real quick because again these are kind of short sweet poems yeah and it goes scientists take their million dollar grants fancy instruments and years of study to find out how the trees communicate with each other instead of just asking. And, you know, I, when writing that poem, I was reading that book, The Secret Life of Trees, which you might've heard about. And it does talk about all, you know, the fancy ways that people have discovered how trees communicate to each other. And I'm, and I was kind of reading it and I was like, yeah, duh. (laughs) Like you don't think that there's, you know, interspecies communication happening Mm -hmm. over here. And that to me is one of the fundamental shifts that we can make in our own world is to not see ourselves as subjects in an objective universe, but to respect the intersubjectivity of all beings and to realize that, yes, the plants have their own way of communicating, their own way of being. And this is a dialogue we can have. This is an exchange we can have. We can I know it's probably gonna be like, who's this hippie? We can talk to plants. Believe it or not, you can talk to your plant and it'll talk right back. Won't be in English. 
but you'll receive a certain um, insights and wisdom that you yeah. wouldn't get just by reading a book from botany, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the things weird on this podcast, I talk about all like my crazy revelations <laughs> on here. So yeah, like I completely agree. Um, and then what you, when you were talking, it was reminding me of like that diagram, if you've seen it, that it's like the man, like, the humans on top and then all of like the plants and animals are on the bottom and it's like a pyramid, but then it's like, it's not supposed to be, this it's supposed to be like a circle and it's like the human yeah. and all of the plants together. So kind of reminded me of that, that we, we put ourselves on this pedestal, like, oh, like we, like we're like, better than, but it's that we're all together and we're all here, um, like taking care of one another. And I feel like that's how it should be um, like with humans too. We should take care of one another instead of being like the, the crabs in a bucket, if you've heard that expression, that trying to claw your way out and push everyone down. Mm, absolutely. I mean, the movement of hierarchy to harmony, right, is so important. Yeah. And yeah. I would love that diagram if, I was like, just put the human slightly like right of center, you know, because again, we, we love to, you know, think that we're humans at, are special or better or at the top of the food chain than the rest of the world, rather than just one intersection of this web of relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I'd like to shift to yoga briefly. Um, just like, how do you view yoga in, in this in this conversation with like like loving plants and just love in general, like how does yoga have a role in that? Mm. Yeah, it's a lovely question. And yoga is so many things, you know, when people say it, they tend to mean physical asana. So it's a spiritual practice. It's a science just as real as any Western science that we have. But what's most relevant about yoga in this conversation is that it is a practice of embodiment. It is a practice of coming into our living, breathing, dancing, vibrating bodies. And most people, you know, you pick out somebody on the street, they live, they're living shoulders up. They're living in their mind, lost in thought, caught up in this endless ruminative thinking mind and few people are in their bodies and you can tell this because people love this idea of being present people say oh you got to be in the present moment the past is gone future is this present moment to present that's what we call it you know the present and it's often presented as this like herculean task like oh you really got to focus and better read the power of now by <laughs> and like be here now and all these things and i'm like no 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 hold, hold on guys being present is not again some focusing of the mind like when you're in class and the teacher says pay attention and you tighten up and begin to focus if you want to be present all you have to do is be in your body all you have to do is feel you can feel your breath you could feel the earth you could feel the air across your skin you could listen to the sounds around you all you ever need to do to become present is take a few moments and feel into this body it's the mind that will take you to a past that's already gone or a future that doesn't exist but the body is right here right now it's breathing in the now your heart is beating in the now so yoga is this wonderful way to drop out of the mind and to come into our bodies right and most people you know they need like oh wow my hamstrings are stretching so hard right now like they kind of need that like pay attention to me now 
but that's the gateway, right? And then you're able to explore more subtle sensations, more ways of being in the world. So we do practice being present in our bodies on our mats so that once we step off our mats, we're still feeling our feet walk along the earth. We're still in touch with our heart and the source of love. We're still feeling our breath because once we do come into our bodies, we realize it's in an endless, again, as I say, interconnected, interdependent interchange with the world. Each inhale, you are breathing in the exhalation of trees, right? And plants and all the creatures of the world or plant, plant creatures of the world. So in getting in touch with our bodies, we get in touch with life and getting in touch with life, we get in touch with the interconnectedness of all of life. So the, the mission of, or like the, how do I, I don't know how to put it, but like the thing that I talk about with Grounded Spirits is that the point of it is that, um, it's to learn how to connect with nature, new perspectives and yourself. And I feel like right now when you're talking about yoga, it like does all three at once. Mm-hmm. So, cause your nature, the nature is your body. Like your body is of this earth. And mm-hmm. so by being able to connect with yourself, you're really connecting to nature and how you said like, well, after the class or after like the time that you've taken to do yoga, your the way that your feet touch the earth, um, is also a part of grounding and so it's just like really cool that all of that just comes together in in one (laughs) absolutely you know i'm gonna write this blog post because about how the buddha became enlightened because there's this little piece to the story that's often glossed over and and you probably know the story of the buddha was this prince and left at 27, found an, an, an old person, a dead person, a sick person, realized we all have sickness, old age, and death, lived with some yogis, became an ascetic, sat beneath a tree, decided he's going to meditate, you know, was visited by Tara, da, 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 da. and then, you know what he did? To, to finally become enlightened, he touched the earth. <laughs> After being tempted by Mara and all these things, da, 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 he put one hand on the earth. And That's like the most profound thing of the whole story to me is we have to have our feet on the earth every day. We have to, your podcast is amazing, grounded spirits, right? Because there's this other phrase, I don't know if you know, it it says, praise Allah, praise God, right? Praise Allah and tie your camel to the post. And sometimes like spiritual life can get so lofty and so like energetic and so out there. People forget to tie their camel to the post. People forget to keep their feet on the earth, to remain in the here and now, to like feel into this beautiful unfolding moment that we are all a part of. And that was much of my practice. Yeah. When writing it was just like, how can we remain connected to this earth? Yeah. That's beautiful. I hadn't heard that before. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that too. Um, so is there any last minute things you want to share with the audience? Um, well, I'll just, let me find this poem real quick, because as I mentioned, um, these poems are very short and I was like, how can I, uh, capture just the essence of an idea in as few words as possible so this poem is seven eight words and it taps into what we are talking about today and it goes just like this we are earth 
then song, then earth. A lifetime. Wow. That's a perfect. Because, yeah, I, I had thought about, like, um, that we really are just vibrations. We're just, like, vibrating, and then we all have, like, our own song. But what's cool is that when we have um, just, like, there's so many different parts of the song, and so when we all come together, it just forms, like, the symphony. So, oh, I love that. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom. I I feel already just like having this conversation, I feel so much more connected to the earth. So thank you so much. Yay. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate it so much. And that's it. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you want to learn more about Zach, you can go to ZachBeach.com. Then you can find all of his information there on his website. I'll also link it in the show notes, as well as my links to my books and um, to my website and to everything else. Um, so I'll link both of those in the show notes so that you can check those out. You can check out his new book, Pebbles, the book that we were talking about in this episode. It's out now on Amazon. So you could check that out. I keep saying check things out, but yeah, check things out. So um, I will see you in the next episode that you should also check out. So that's it. Bye.